Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The event that we are all waiting for, and it's finally here, UFC 263, Idesanya versus Vittori, plus Figueredo versus Marino, and of course Nate Diaz versus Leon Edwards. Me and Shockwave Dave will be breaking down all three of those fights, as well as giving you an underdog and a parlay as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we help make your wallet fat this upcoming weekend. Plus, as I always do, I'm bringing you guys the interviews you want to hear. First, I'm talking to Luigi Vendramini, who talks about how he got into MMA, as well as his upcoming fight this weekend. And then at the end of the show, I'm going to be talking to Frank Camacho. And and a little note here, a little point. uh, Obviously, Frank Camacho got pulled this weekend. Our thoughts are with him because he he got into a, a car accident. We hope for a speedy recovery and we get to see him back in there. Of course, this interview happened before that car accident, and we just wanted to be able to share it with you because he's such a nice guy. We love hearing his voice. We love hearing his take on fights and life, so we wanted to be able to give you guys that as well. So you'll hear that at the end of the show, and of course, once again, we just wish Frank the absolute best because he's a phenomenal person. Um, but before we get to any of that great content, I, of course, got to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for avid sports bettors, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like the YouTube for sports betting. Head on over to betterthan.vegas and follow, browse, search through handicappers and sports personalities as they give you their thoughts on upcoming sports contests in every sport imaginable. And that includes MMA. You can get my picks. I give you guys a bonus pick each and every week over there on Better Than Vegas. Last week, I told you to bet Ilya Latifi. And let me tell you something. If you're listening to me over there, you are cashing picks each and every week. So make sure to head on over to betterthan.vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. And it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Luigi Vendramini, who fights Ferris Zayame at UFC 263 on June 12th. So, Luigi, I wanted to start here. There's not a ton out there about how your background got into MMA, but I know that you have amateur fights from, I mean, you were like 1920 when you first started fighting. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into MMA? So I started MMA because, like, my father is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, and I started to to train jiu-jitsu for just lose weight because I'm fat when I'm is young and like uh i started to, to train jiu-jitsu and i saw like many ufc guys in my gym like a like a paulo tiago masaranduba renato moicano these guys and i look for day training and say so i want to do this and i started to train boxing muay thai jiu-jitsu and everything and my father all the time in my side so just i start because i love this and i i love training and i start young and is this 
Well, and, and you mentioned you started young. How, how young were you when you, you decided that you, you wanted to use jujitsu to get into shape? And, and then how quickly did it become MMA from jujitsu? So I started training jujitsu when I'm 14. And more or less, like 16, I started to, to train everything and desire like a, be a MMA fighter. Wow. So that, that is pretty young. And out of curiosity, you know, you said your dad is a black belt. And was he, is he a competitor as well? Did he compete in jujitsu? Did he ever try MMA? Like how, how much have you ever seen your dad compete? He, he competes like a, in jujitsu tournaments, like a, just my, like a, in my city. But uh, he all, like I have a train, like my father trained, like a, when have like MMA start. My father trained in uh, MMA and box and jiu-jitsu. So he teach me many things. That's, that's awesome. Now, obviously, family is really important to you, too. You know, your, your dad being, you know, a huge influence on the beginning of your MMA career and the beginning of your martial arts training. But I know you've been doing some training at Factory X in Colorado as well. Is it difficult to, to balance those two parts of your life, especially now in a time where it's not really easy to move back and forth between Brazil and the United States? So this is, for me, this more like the more tough party or party because it's for me, like my family is everything and I grew up with my family like a Every day, every time we stay together. So I'm here for five months in America, training, and don't see my family just in FaceTime these things. So I have like a, like a, for my personal life, I have bad, uh, bad times because all the time I'm, I'm stay single. But for my work, I'm the best place. I like a, for me, it's the best in the world. I feel like uh, like Mark Montoya is the best coach. And I learned too much here. And I changed my game. And I changed, like, my mentality. So, for me, it's a very good experience. The, in the end, for me, it's, the, like, the very good experience. And in two weeks, I will fight and show for the world, like, uh, what hard work and pays off can do absolutely and, and i know like you said it's been really hard for you i i have noticed in the past including your fight on on fight island that you've had your dad in the corner with you is, is that going to be possible for this fight too is is he going to make the trip for you yes uh my father stayed in my corner all my fights like uh when i like start to train like a fight in jiu-jitsu tournaments muay thai fights and MMA fights, my fight is all the time with me. And this is my next fight. We stay together in one week. This is a good because I miss him. <laughs> Absolutely. I can only imagine. And, and you know, we're going to talk about that fight in just a second. But I'm curious, too, because we're talking about your family. You got big plans to go back home into Brazil as soon as this fight's over. Is that your plan? So I, I will come back to Brazil, like, uh, when this fight over. And... I want to like uh, live like uh, two lives in the sense like live in Brazil and when I get like uh, some fights come here all the time like uh, live in Brazil in America and I feel like this mix is good because 
Brazilian training is different than American training. It's more less technical and like uh, have more jiu-jitsu game or these things. And America is more technical, have more, you learn, here I learn more striking things, more MMA things. And Brazil is more, you train jiu-jitsu or you train Muay Thai or you train it. So don't have like a mix. Mm-hmm. So it's good. I, I train like a, I train here more MMA, like everything, the mix. And in Brazil, I train more. Just one, tech, like just one, like a boxing, like a Muay Thai, just Muay Thai, just boxing is uh, like a good mix. I feel I will be great when I like a, do this mix all the time. You understand? Absolutely. Yeah. The, the ability to work on one thing when you're in Brazil and then put it all together uh, during your training camps in that, the United States. That makes a lot of sense to me. Now, let, let's talk about putting it all together because you're fighting Ferris Zaim. He's coming off of a pretty big win as well. What, what were sort of your thoughts when the UFC offered you a fight against Ferris Zaim? So I, I have like uh, the best manager in the game. I have uh, uh, Jason House and I don't, I don't the guy like, uh, I, I, I'm not the guy like, uh, choice the fight, understand? I just wait in the, my manager call and I accept the fight. For me, like, f- fight with Farzian or however guy for me is like uh, the same, understand? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm curious too, because I know you had that long layoff with, with the knee surgery and obviously that was a nightmare. You know, you had to have the, I read all about you having to have it fixed and stuff like that. And it was two years off. Now you're getting this fight on a pretty quick turnaround. You're getting only, you know, six, eight, six to eight months later, you're, you're right back in training camp. Are you excited that you're getting to build on that big knockout that you had against Jesse Ayari? Yes. So uh, for me, like uh, this, this KO, like in Fight Island, like changed my life, changed my mentality, changed everything. Because I, I, I have one short notes in the upper class for my debut. And 10 seconds, 10 seconds of, the, of the fight, I hurt my, my knee. I ruined my LCL and lose my first loss in my life. So, like, uh, I feel like my, this, this fight has the fight. Uh, makes me like the people know my name and how much I'm worked for get these big victories because two years like do physiotherapies live to end because when you rub your LCL you have to start everything from zero mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and and so you know you talked about that that fight changing your life you felt like people knew your name again I got to ask, because I always end these interviews by asking fighters, how do they see this next fight going? How do you see yourself getting the win uh, on at UFC 263? So I don't see I'm losing this fight because uh, I work too much. I do all my sacrifice for this camp. I don't stay with my family. I don't stay with my Brazilian friends. I don't do nothing, just eat train and sleep i don't don't do nothing like nothing no alcohol no nothing like no good food just like a chicken sweet potatoes <laughs> and training like a six hours for a day and like a work with the best fighters like many ufc guys 
and I gain a lot of experience. So it's impossible I lose this fight because I can't lose this fight. I have to win and continue win for like uh, help my family and grow up grow up in UFC. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This was Luigi Vendramini, who fights Ferris Zaim at UFC 263. That fight is on June 12th on the pay-per-view. Luigi, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Luigi Vendramini. I, once again, am Daniel Gumby Vreeland. Joining me now is Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, this past weekend, a pretty lackluster card, but I got to ask you, is Santiago Ponzinibbio versus Miguel Baeza a front runner for fight of the year right now? Absolutely a fight of the year contender, Gumby. I can't wait to go back and watch it again. And you know what is really exciting to me is Ponzinibbio's back. It doesn't really, you know, take a hit to Baeza's stock. We have two really fun fighters at 170, a division that's already rich with fun fighters. Just so much depth to me always at 155, 170. Add two more fighters to the list where now when I see their fighting, I'm like, can't wait to see those guys. Yeah, and I, I think what you said about Ponzinibbio being back is important because he was on that crazy seven-fight win streak. He had the staph infection that infected the bone in his, I think it was his leg. Um, and then we didn't see him, and then he comes back and gets knocked out by Li Jing Liang, who, you know, isn't a big knockout artist. It was great to see the old Ponzinibbio back. He didn't get a finish, but man... A tough fight like that against Miguel Baeza. Yeah, and like you said, didn't do anything to hurt Baeza's stock. So both an exciting fight. Great. I think long-term great for both fighters. Um, and, and I think it's probably on a short list with only Mason Jones versus Mike Davis from way back in January as a top fight. We haven't really had any headliners that stick out as, as fight of the year candidates, huh? No, we've had moments. I mean, obviously, like Kamaru Usman with that knockout over Jorge Masvidal. Uh, Jan taking, you know, the, the fight off of uh, Israel Adesanya. But you're right. We have not had that, like, headline banger of a fight yet in this calendar year. Although, maybe this is a good tra- time to transition because this weekend may just have one of those. Boom. I love it. So let's get into it. It's our favorite segment on the show, Fights, Dogs, Parlays. We're breaking it down for UFC 263. But before we get into it, Gumby, one may wonder if any company sponsors this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Absolutely. Fight Stocks and Parlays is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can log your training sessions, tag the different techniques you worked on with the training partners you worked on, so many more awesome features including competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Make sure to download the Maroon Social app wherever it is you download apps. All right, this is such a big card. We'll start with the main event. I'm so excited about this main event. Israel Adesanya defending his middleweight title. He's a minus 245 favorite to Marvin Vittoria, plus 205. Dog, I agree with those odds wholeheartedly, but yet when I think about this fight in my mind, I'm envisioning some sort of war, fireworks, maybe something that goes into the fourth or fifth round. I think you were just hinting at it, or maybe you were hinting at Figueredo versus Moreno, but I think this has potential for a fight of the year. I'm really excited about this. Let's talk about what these two fighters have been up to. So with Marvin Vittori, the Italian prospect, uh, he lost to Israel Adesanya back in April of 2018. And since that time, a split decision loss early in Adesanya's UFC career, 
Vittori's gone on and reeled off five wins in a row. He rear-naked choked Carl Roberson, and he's taken four unanimous decision victories over the likes of Cesar Ferreira, Andrew Sanchez, Jack Hermanson, and coming off a big win over Kevin Holland, uh, which is a funny fight to go back and watch just to see Kevin Holland's in-between rounds uh, reactions and whatnot. Um, But that all being said, uh, you know, Israel Adesanya, the dominant middleweight champion went up to light heavyweight for a super fight. We were both down on the decision, and we hope the UFC learned from this. Not that it takes, you know, Adesanya's stock doesn't take a hit, like we were saying earlier with Ponzinibbio, but, you know, weight classes are very important. There's huge jumps when you go from middleweight to light heavyweight, sometimes even light heavyweight up to heavyweight. And weight really matters. It's not like a guy who could fight at 135 and or 145. And you really saw Blankowitz use his weight, wear down Adesanya in the later rounds, use a takedown, and then just sort of ground and pound him. Uh, there was really nothing Adesanya could do. And I wish Adesanya, before doing that, had really just reeled off, you know, an Anderson Silva nine wins in a row. Then he could have done what I actually think John Jones is doing, and I think it's smart take a year off, bulk up, get up to that weight class. Don't just go up for one fight. Now, I do think that John Jones is probably doing some shady shit because it's John Jones, and he probably could fight there right now. He's taking extra long time for it, but he claims it's to really become a true heavyweight. And, you know, whether that's the shoot reason or the work reason, as we say in pro wrestling, I think that's the way to do it. So I think the UFC, I think Adesanya learned from that fight. Now he's back to defend his belt at middleweight after beating Robert Whitaker for the title. He defended against Joel Romero. He defended against Paulo Costa via TKO, although Paulo Costa claims it was because he drank too much wine the night before. Does he get his third defense this weekend against Marvin Vittori Gumby? I'm going to say yes, but I'm also going to say it with this caveat. I feel like this is a fight. You're right. It definitely could go into the fourth or fifth round, be really exciting. I was actually talking about either fight when I was talking about having a, you know, a title fight banger. I think either of these could be it, but I also think, I feel like we're going to know the complexion of this fight very early on. Um, if I Desanya starts stuffing the grappling of Marvin Vittori, because I think Marvin Vittori is going to go to the grappling far earlier than Jan Blankovic did. I think he wants it on the mat 30 seconds into the fight. And if Izzy stuffs a couple of those, I think you know that Izzy's going to win. It might go into deep waters, but like Izzy is going to win if he stuffs those early takedowns. You know, Marvin's, you know, cardio is not just going to get better in the late rounds where he starts to score really late takedowns. I think he's going to have trouble getting the takedown early. Then he's going to have trouble getting the takedown at all. So I actually favor Idasanya to be, have a good enough takedown defense early on that he can sort of piece up Vittori and, and eventually probably stop him. But I will say that if, if Vittori does have that success early, like I feel like we'll then know that this is, man, this is going to be Vittori's fight. So I think within a round or two, you'll probably have a good idea of where this is going. Uh, and for me, I'm just going to side with Idasanya. Like you said, the odds are kind of at where they're at, and it makes a lot of sense. I'm not really chomping at the bit to get at either side of this line because I think it's you know lined about appropriately, and I'm kind of shrugging my shoulders at negative 245 and not super pleased about that. Um, but I am going to take Israel Adesanya as a straight-up pick. I, I agree with everything you said, so I won't add much other than to say, yeah, this is one of those fights where you kind of know after the first round and a half the first seven minutes so maybe you want to get in on 
live in-game in-fight betting more so than the pre-fight betting because I, you know, I, I think I alluded to it. I think you're saying it too. It's like we like Adesanya to win outright. Minus 245, a little steep because we definitely trust Vittori, and there is a blueprint, at least you know from what we saw with Jan, when it comes to Adesanya, and Vittori can certainly implement that blueprint uh, with the takedowns and just you know kind of ground and pound. So we'll move on. Uh, banger of a flyweight title fight. I am actually more excited, and I've said this on the show. If you're a fan of the show, you know. I am more excited about the Devison Figueredo era than I was about the Mighty Mouse Johnson era. I just find uh, him to be kind of funny. Everything always ends in controversy from his first win over Joseph Benavidez to the draw he's coming off of with Brandon Moreno. I don't know. I just love the guy. So we have a uh, Figueredo Moreno rematch. Their last fight back in December of 2020 uh, ended in a draw. Now it's worth noting that Figueredo was deducted one point in round three because uh, of a groin strike, uh, but Moreno gets that uh, rematch right away. Uh, if you want to know the odds on this, it's Figueredo, minus 245, so both champions betting off at minus 245. Moreno, plus 205, so both dogs in the title fight betting off at plus 205. I, I will say, when matched, I like Vittori's chances more so than I like Moreno's chances at plus 205. Uh, before the Figueredo draw Moreno had beaten Brandon Royval via TKO, Juicy Formiga, and Kai Kara France via unanimous decision. Go back one more fight. He had a draw with Askar Askarov. So two draws in his last five fights. That actually has to be some sort of record for the UFC. Anyway, who you got? I think I'm going to go with Davidson Figueredo, and I actually feel pretty comfortable about this because I went back and watched their first fight, and I actually gave four rounds to Figueredo. Uh, the only round mm-hmm. I gave to Moreno was the fourth. Um, I gave the first, second, third, and fifth all to Figueredo, which even means with the point deduction, I had him winning. And, it, you know, I was trying to decide whether or not I was crazy or if there was some kind of bias on watching it on second watch. But if you go back and look at the media scores for that, it's about 50-50. They, they about half, half the people have a draw and half the people have Figueredo winning four rounds um, with the point deduction down to three rounds. So as a result, like, Everybody else agreed that Figueredo wins this fight without the dick kick in it, right? Like, that's the bottom line is, right? Like, he won this fight, never once looked like he was in, like, danger, danger in this fight. So, like, why wouldn't you pick him in the next fight? And and you're right. I I like him at this number better than I like Adesanya. If I was thinking about putting one of these two in a parlay, it 100% would be Davison Figueredo. He's more violent. I like his grappling better. You know, like his hands are better than than Moreno. And like, look, you, you mentioned the the TKO win for Brandon Moreno over over Brandon Royval. Royval's shoulder became dislocated. So like, is that much of a win? I mean, yeah, it's a win. But like, on freak circumstances, then he pretty much loses to to Davison Figueredo and he draws with Askar Askarov. So like, I mean, like we're talking about like one really good looking win and it was over Juicy A Formiga who's not even in the UFC anymore. So, uh, yeah, I, I like Brandon Moreno. I just don't think he has anything here for, for Figueredo. Agree. 100, 100. All right, let's move on to really what's kind of like a super fight. This could have, uh, almost headlined its own, you know, fight night or definitely been second from the top from just one title fight. And it really adds a lot of cachet to this pay-per-view itself. And it's Leon Edwards betting off at a minus 525 favorite versus Nate Diaz, a plus 415 dog. Now, 
if you just take out those two names and I say to you, hey, we got a big fight, a guy's a minus 525 versus a guy who's a plus 415, you'd say that's crazy. That can't be a close fight, but it's Nate Diaz, and I think it's worth noting. Um, let's go back and just look at the recent history of Nate Diaz, and the recent history is actually spread out over seven years because really in 2013, that's when Nate Diaz stopped being a regular fighter. Uh, he fought in November of 2013, beat Gray Maynard, came back a year later, and looked like absolute dog shit, losing to Rafael Dos Anjos in December of 2014. So 2014 is really when he started just fighting about once a year, averaging once a year. Then he came back a year later and looked great against Michael Johnson, then beat uh, Conor McGregor a few months later, uh, lost to Conor McGregor in the rematch a few months later, so he fought twice in 2016, didn't fight again for three years, and then beat the breaks off Anthony Pettis in August of 2019, and then lost to Jorge Masvidal via TKO, doctor stoppage. When I first saw that fight, it was a clear win for Masvidal. I've rewatched it a couple of times. I actually don't think it was as brutal a beatdown as I thought it was on the live watch. I'd actually like to see those two guys get rematched again. But again, that was back in November of 2019, so here it is a year and a half later. Who knows what Nate Diaz is going to show up? He's older. I actually do think these odds are set right but you just never know who you're going to get. And when it comes to that mental toughness and certainly just like boxing or if it goes into a dog fight, I like Nate Diaz's hands better than I like Leon Edwards' hands, but it is only a three-round fight. Leon Edwards can score like a late takedown uh, and, and just win here on points. That all being said, I sort of took your thunder, so I'm leaning towards Leon Edwards, but I do think you can't discount Nate Diaz. And while the odds are, again, probably set right, you just never know what you're going to get from Nate Diaz. So what do you I, think? I'm going to I'm going to give you two pieces of insight. So first of all, I'm going to blow up a little of your analysis by telling you the UFC made this a five round fight. So uh, very surprisingly, non title fight, third from the top. The UFC is going to let him go five rounds anyway. Um, so Leon Edwards, mind blowing. Yeah, it's it's a silly move. Um, and I think it favors Nate Diaz. I think that's part of why they're doing it, right? Like I'm I'm sure Nate Diaz found a way to right. negotiate this in. It also looks good in Leon Edwards to say like, look, hey, I'm I'm willing to take a five round fight. Give me Usman next after I beat the brakes off of of uh, Nate Diaz. And I think that's probably what he does here. You know, I, I don't think his hands are all that far behind Nate Diaz. And I, I think he's got the wrestling card. Like you said, he's got to steal some rounds with late late takedowns. And even if that winds up being a much later fight, I still think he has that option in a fourth or a fifth round. The thing I will say that absolutely surprises me about this fight is, do you, do you want to take a stab at where this line opened? Uh, did it open at Nate Diaz like plus 200 because all these Nate Diaz nut huggers were on it or something? It, it opened it opened with Nate Diaz around plus 250, so you're you're pretty much correct, which means people are betting Leon Edwards heavily. Yeah. Um, which I'm a little bit surprised by how many people are betting Leon. Well, Edwards. can I? Can, can I'm sorry to interrupt. Can it also be the fact that I, you know, just like me, people didn't realize that it was a five round fight because to me. The five-round aspect really favors Nate Diaz, who doesn't get finished easily. And if it goes to dogfight territory, minute 18 to 25, you know, you like Nate Diaz in that kind of war. It could be that. It could be people sleeping on the the size of the fight or or things like that. But I also think even given that fact, right, when I think about like lines changing heavily, I, I think about where the casuals money comes in, right? Like when you look at a Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier line. 
Like, how is Conor McGregor a favorite in that fight right now? But he is. He's a favorite <laughs> right, against Dustin right. Poirier in a rematch. And it's because the casuals are like, oh, Conor McGregor, he'll be, he's, he's the greatest fighter in the world. And we know that not to be true anymore. But the casuals bet the money on him. And I would say that in this, I, I just felt like the casuals' money was going to come in on Nate Diaz. But, hey, maybe some smart betting analysts or stuff are all over Leon Edwards. Hey, maybe this line gets closer as the week comes on and the casuals' money really comes out especially on Nate Diaz plus 415. Uh, you know, you, you've you sort of alluded to it in a five-round fight. I don't hate Nate Diaz at plus 415. If you're telling me that I have to pick the winner of this fight, gun to my head, like I'm picking Leon, Leon Edwards, Edwards all day, every day. But if you're looking for value in this line, it's not on Leon Edwards. It's not on Leon Edwards at all. The value is all on the Nate Diaz side. So, you know, like, I, I would say if you're you're betting this one, you either play dog or you just, you know, stay away from it entirely. Um, and for me, I still think I'm staying away from it entirely because I, I do think Leon Edwards is probably just going to lean on his wrestling a little bit here. He's probably not going to win the most exciting fight you've ever seen, and it's going to be real interesting to see if the UFC gives him a title shot off of it. You know, I want to make this really stupid analogy, but you know how sometimes, like, a blue belt, can go and to like a college frat party and win a fight with like a guillotine <laughs> choke. And then all his friends who don't train are like, Oh my God, did you see, did you see Daniel Vreeland guys? He, <laughs> the guy's a wizard. He, I mean, he could beat up Superman, but we all know he's getting choked out every week by, you know, Brown and black belts. I felt that way with Connor and Khabib. All my casual friends were betting on Connor. And yeah. I was like, guys, stay the fuck away from that. Don't do that. <laughs> Khabib's going to fucking maul him like a bear. And then everyone was like, dude, Dave, how did Dave know that? He really knows him. <laughs> and the, it just, it, it really fucking uh, made me think of that. Cause you're completely right. You know, when it comes to like the Connor Poirier line, that's all just casual BS right there. Anyway, let's continue. We'll do this quickly. Um, Cause this has been a bit of a longer fight stocks and parlays. We know people are busy, have busy lives and we like to get through this in a quick manner out of respect for your time. Our underdog of the week, Jake Collier, plus 160 over Carlos Philippe. Break it down. So Jake Collier, he's a guy who, remember, made his UFC debut at middleweight. uh, And since then is ballooned up to heavyweight. He doesn't look good physically. And I think that's why you see this line where it is. He's a big guy now and not looking real great. Got knocked out by Tom Aspinall in his re-debut, his debut back in heavyweight. But in his second fight, he looked great. His hands looked good. He pieced up Jan Vellante in the hands. His cardio held up. And look, he's fighting a guy who is kind of passive on the feet and has only kind of beat other guys who have let him be the more active fighter. I don't think Jake Collier does that here, and I actually think he's probably got the hands to tag Carlos Felipe. So, you know, ignore the difference in his stature that that you might notice and, and be sad about, and just get it on Jake Collier. Plus 160 is a great number for him. Our parlay to play is Panny, Kenziad, minus 220, and Mavsar, Avliov, a minus 240, minus 220, minus 240. Sounds like pretty uh, long odds on two favorites, uh, but pan it, put them together, excuse me, and you're going to get plus 105. So even though they're both two favorites, you're going to get plus money in the parlay. Let's hear it. So I like Panny out a lot because she, she's looked really good her last three fights. She's using her physicality well. Alexis Davis had lost three straight. She beat a flyweight at Bantamweight her last time out to kind of save her job. And it was also a flyweight who doesn't wrestle particularly well in Sabina Mazo. So, you know, she hasn't really shown much in her last four fights. So we see her now at Bantamweight against not just a Bantamweight, but a very large Bantamweight. And 
I'm just not sure she can get her down. And if she can't, she's definitely at a huge disadvantage with the hands here. So I'm sort of leaning on the idea that she can't get her down. And in the opposite fight, I I'm leaning on the opposite. I, I think Movsar Evloev is going to take Hakeem Dawoudou down all the time as much as he wants. And whether or not he's doing well on the feet is sort of immaterial because I think he's going to have enough takedowns and control time that he's going to win this fight on the judges' scorecards and fairly easily. So I, I like Kianzad to keep her feet, Evloev to get the takedown, and both of them to help us cash plus 105. Boom. All right. Well, that was an exciting addition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays because it's an exciting fight card this weekend. So hope you're pumped. Uh, follow along with us on Twitter as the fights are going on. We'll certainly be live tweeting. We are at Top Turtle MMA on Twitter. Ditto for Instagram. Uh, please go write us a review on iTunes. It helps keep the lights on in the Top Turtle Podcast studio. Gumby, this train is a moving. Let's keep on choo-choo chewing down the tracks. Where should we go next? And we're going to transition now to my interview with Frank the Crank Camacho. Once again, this interview was done before his recent car accident and being pulled from the UFC 263 card. Once again, I just want to extend our, our warmest wishes and, and speedy recovery to Frank. Because, uh, once again, he's a phenomenal guy. We love having him on the show. And, of course, we wish for the best for him and his career. But in the meantime, I do want you to enjoy this interview because, once again, he's a super entertaining guy. So we're going to head to that interview right now. All right, and joining me today is Frank the Crank Camacho, who fights Matt Fravola at UFC 263 on June 12th. So, Frank, I got to ask, you know, you've been out of the cage for a year now, or just about a year now, and I know that's not how you like it. You like to stay active. You like to be in there. What, what, what's this year outside of the octagon been like for you? Whew. Oh, man, it's <laughs> – well, first off, uh, it, uh, you know, for – I mean, I'm just kind of like – sound like a broken record but 2020 has just been kind of like a little funky year you know uh but i was supposed to fight after uh after my loss against justin james initially i was supposed to fight matt frivola and then i freaking got covid and then that whole mess kind of just jacked everything up uh just been enjoying time with the family back home you know in the beautiful mariana islands on guam and uh been really just trying to stay busy you know with all the changes it, it really kind of helped me uh pursue other things you know like physical and spiritual and like and like mental challenges you know I picked up a lot of like uh cycling I picked up a lot of like uh running and um yeah it's just been honestly just trying to stay busy bro well, and that's awesome to hear. Now, I'm I'm curious, too, because obviously, you know, being able to do those types of things is, is good for your mentality. It's good for your physicality. How, how do you feel like it's played into this training camp as you get ready for Matt Frivola kind of again here? Um, dude, going into camp, I'm in shape, you know, <laughs> like, a, like I'm in really good shape. It, it helped me keep the it helped me manage the weight, you know, other otherwise I would have just been at home locked down eating food the, the, <laughs> you know the, the the trip to the refrigerator is just right there you know so it it, it was good man it it uh it, it forced it was, it forced like uh i guess to step out of my comfort zone and really like and i ended up and i really like it dude i really enjoy i, I really enjoyed it i mean of course right sticking to my mma program training training with a small uh group of guys back home on guam but uh but yeah, it's it's 
it's it's always something new, man. Always something new, and I'm always it's what a, what a journey of uh, of being a MMA fighter. For sure. Now, I wanted to get back to that fight with Justin James too for a second, because obviously it doesn't go the way you thought. You get caught early in that fight. And that's kind of the fight that, that sticks with you, right? The fight you've had to marinate on for you know, damn near close to a year at this point. So is it, does it eat you alive to think about that fight? Because it, it, you know, it's not typically your, your kind of fight. Your fight is usually you know, a bang them out you know, three-round brawl or you, know, <laughs> you, know, like, you got that Damian Brown fight on your record, man. Like, like that's what we remember. Is it hard that being what you've had to think about for the last 12 months? Uh, no, not so much. You know, like, I guess maybe 28-year-old Frank would have been super devastating, you know, for my career. Uh, you, you know, honestly, truthfully, it, it's, I mean, yeah, obviously it sucked, right? And obviously, like, it was like, come on, man, I didn't even make it out. Of, I didn't make it to the first minute, you know? <laughs> uh, but it was, uh, a, you know, mature Frank and... Uh, you know, just so, so blessed to have like my, uh, uh, you know, a, a loving, supportive wife and, and, and two amazing kids at the time. And uh, it re- that, that really kind of got me through it because I just remember marinating on it, just being like, man, whoa, what the heck? Like this guy came in, you know, uh, great guy, by the way, but just came in uh, freaking and took me out within 45 45- seconds on he took the fight on like two days notice he doesn't fight at 55 you know what I mean cracked me good but it was it was kind of like those things where it was it was like a I, I just like I just really reflected on how like wow man like mixed martial arts does not like MMA does not discriminate you know uh at the end of the day MMA and martial arts wins like you put your hands down or you have it down just a little bit Hey man, you'll get cracked, you know, and it happens to to everyone. It happens to the best of everyone, you know. Um, but so glad to just come home and having my son and my two sons, like uh, they're two and four years old at the time, maybe last year, just be like, "Daddy, daddy!" They were just so stoked to see me, and and whether I got knocked out in 15 seconds or whether I I had a, a fight of the year contender. I was still dad, you know, and, and just kind of keeping those things in perspective kind of just got me through it, you know, and I, and I never, I, I dwelled on it for maybe about, about a week or about two weeks to a month. And then after that, I was like, you know what, I just get back to work. You know, I'm, I'm still kicking. I'm still alive. I mean, if anything, that knockout wasn't as bad as freaking Jeff Neal. <laughs> Jeff Neal. Good God. So, uh, that it, honestly, it didn't really bother me that much. And, um, yeah, just back. I just got back, back on the horse and just start working at it again. You know, yeah. next time just keep my hands up and I'm definitely going to need to freaking keep my hands up for freaking this guy coming up. Yeah, well, and I was going to ask you about that, too, because you, you were prepping for Matt Frivola, which, like you said, he, he's he got some hands. you got to keep your hands up for him, too. But he's also, like, a, a much more of a wrestler, right? Like, Matt Frivola likes to go in there and mix his grappling in, whereas Justin James, well, he's got a little bit of a wrestling background, is a little bit more of a slugger in there. So, like, d- did that throw you off? And, and what is it like, you know, sort of preparing for Matt Frivola a second time now? Um, I'm, you know, if anything, I am just so stoked to be facing a freaking orthodox guy, you know, <laughs> my whole career, I've been fighting all lefties, you know, I'm, and, and, and a lot of my training partners are lefties, but 
I'm like, oh, okay, but, you know, there's some things that I can, I can, that I've always wanted to try fighting a, a right-handed guy. I know he, I know he can switch. Um, uh, and I know he, how he, he just, he, he mixes his wrestling well with his striking and back and forth. And he just brings freaking a ton of freaking chaos. Uh, but I feel, I feel like that fight got scratched because I needed this fight right now. You know, maybe this is the, well, maybe, you know, here I am saying maybe, but no matter if, if I show up or not, Matt Frivola is going to freaking bring it. You know what I mean? So uh, it's the fight that I need, you know, and maybe this is the fight that, that needs to freaking wake me back up and, and freaking let's get it. Let's get after it. You know, like, Dude, Sean Shelby definitely knows what's happening with this fight. Yeah, I, I mean, I thought the same thing when they announced the fight, but I, I'm curious as to the way you, you led into it there. You, you said, you know, maybe this is the fight to wake me back up. Do you, do you feel like you've not been yourself in there in the last couple of fights? Um, I've been, you know, been trying to... I, you know, so crazy, like, since I signed with the UFC, you know, in my mind, I always thought, like, okay... I have all the tools ready. Let's sign to the sign to the UFC. Let's go full force. And then when I, but realistically, when I signed to the UFC, it was kind of like after my first fight, I was like, holy shit, I'm still a freaking baby in this sport, and I'm still constantly learning and still constantly trying, uh, wanting to try new things, you know. So, uh, I, I, I. I I'm still trying out stuff, you know, and I'm still learning stuff. So I, I really just wanna. Um, like execute and, and implement all the things that I've been working on with, with uh, Timo Yama and coach, coach Colin and Alex Perez, my wrestling coach and just teammates. And uh, yeah, I just, I, I want to try new stuff, but I, 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 I'm trying to find that balance of new crank versus mm-hmm. old Damian Brown crank, you know? So I guess you're just trying to find the blend of that, you know? So you, you could really see the difference when I fought, uh, let's say like Nick Hine, right? I, I was, I was more methodical. I was, I was picking my shots, but at the same time, I, I, I need, I, I tried, I came out a little too patient with Benio and Benio came, took me down and freaking choked, choked me out. And I was like, okay, whatever, you know? So I'm just, I'm, I'm still trying to find that balance. And I feel with Matt Frivola, whether I find that balance or not, he's coming. You know what I mean? So it, it excites me. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Now, you mentioned in there training with Kaun Oyama too over at Team Oyama in, in California. And obviously, I know, you know, you're from Guam. You talked about your family being out there in, in training there as well. W- was it difficult during the pandemic or it, does it continue to be difficult for you to, to do training camps in the United States when your family is elsewhere? Was it harder to travel what has what this sort of so, whole situation been like now that, you know, I don't want to say that the pandemic's coming to an end, but seems to be winding down and easier to travel now. But what, what was it like over the past year to, to get these training camps in? I think uncertainty at, the, at that time was just very, was very high, right? I, we, we just didn't know what was going on. Is it going to freaking, is this thing going to be like, uh, World War Z, you know what I mean? Like, is you know, we we had it was the uncertainty was just through through the roof. Uh, 
if anything, uh, quarantine was the only thing that was that was a big that that would hinder me. And bro, if anything, flights were even easier. Dude, I would have whole rows <laughs> from from Guam to Hawaii, Hawaii to California. You know, so that I mean that worked out. Um, and then obviously, of course, being away from family is always hard. You know, especially during uncertain times. You know what I mean? So that's why. Uh, you know, I, I got to give a shout out to my wife, men and my family back home for just really holding down the fort and, and, you know, with her and the kids. So, uh, yeah, man, but yeah, we're, we're, I mean, we're still kicking, we're still working and, and I'm so, I'm so glad that we're, we're still able to, you know? Absolutely. And we're looking forward to seeing you put everything together. Now, b- before I let you go, I do like to ask all my fighters before they get off the phone with me whether or not they could give me a prediction. How do you see this one going down with Matt Frivola on June 12th? <sighs> you know, I, uh, you know, everything I, I, I spoke about, right, with like, this is the fight that I need. Maybe it's the fight that I need or whatever, but... Dude, I, I don't know why, but I am, like, fantasizing about a three-round war, you know? Like, yeah, of course, right? I can see, okay, man, uh, you know, dude, perfect world, boom. Ten seconds, I throw a punch or a kick or a knee, and it knocks him out, and, hey, we all go home, and, you know, everything's good. But I am fantasizing for a three-round fight, man. You know, maybe... And just trying to be honest with myself and think is is it man is it selfish of me to want that and ask for that because uh I mean oh, don't don't get me wrong if if there's an opening and there's a finish dude I'm getting out of there you know what I mean <laughs> but 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 I know but Mafravola is tough there's no quit in the guy you know uh, but maybe it's because my last two fights with Benil and with Justin James have just been in the first round I'm 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 craving and I'm just fantasizing about just getting in there three rounds, most especially with the crowd back. Absolutely. And I, I got to say, we, we we certainly wouldn't hate a three-round war between you two either. Uh, <laughs> oh, thank, oh, <laughs> I mean, you guys are dirty. You guys are so dirty. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for the time. Once again, fans, this is Frank Camacho, who fights Matt Frabola at UFC 263 on June 12th, hopefully in a three-round war. Frank, Frank <laughs> thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Dan, thank you, brother. Have a great weekend. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in as you do each and every week. Our show would not exist without you guys. We also wouldn't exist without our sponsors, Maroon Social and Better Than Vegas, as well as the mothership, CagesidePress.com. Remember that you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gubby-Freeland. He is Shockwave Dave Tremonte. We'll catch you then.